Thank you so much, Pastor. Well, we have enjoyed this weekend so much. Thank you, Pastor, for the invitation to be here. Uh, starting out, that the banquet last night was just top-notch. That was amazing. I should have said something about it this morning, but it was just incredible. And so we had a treat just to be a part of that. So that was a blessing. And uh, you all are blessed to have a, a great church like this to be a part of, and a great pastor. And uh, uh, we did have some good fellowship today, and it just seems like our hearts are uh, knit together and I uh, look forward to the, our friendship over the years, and it's, it's one of the blessings that we have is we get to pick up good friends all over the country, and it really is a special thing, um, and it's encouraging to see churches like this one all around this country, um, in little towns you never heard of, and there's a church, and people just like you gathering together, just like you're doing right here, and it's special, and it's a privilege to be able to do that. Um, my goal is simply to come alongside, to partner with the church. We only get a few days uh, wherever we're at, but I know one thing, the Holy Spirit's been working a long time before we ever show up. Uh, he's working Sunday and Wednesday and every other day, and through faithful preaching, line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, but I do believe that God has uh, designed a special co combination of gifts between the pastor and the evangelist to help make things click. And I've been on both sides of that before. I remember as a pastor uh, preaching on a certain theme throughout the entire year. It was something basic like faith. But anyways, I, we preached on this theme for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. An evangelist came in and preached one message on faith. And after the, me after the message, of course, people are shaking his hand. And I, and I hear a, a dear lady say, oh, you know what? I, I learned something. I never heard that before. And I'm thinking, wow, well... You're a faithful, you're here all the time, but I guess you just never heard that before. But the reality is, we need to hear the truth over and over and over again. And then sometimes God will bring an outside voice, and through His grace, something clicks. And whatever it takes for truth to click, that's the important thing. And uh, so that we want God to do that wherever we go. So do pray for us that God's power would be upon us, that we'd be able to see revival. Revival can be manifested in a lot of ways. And historically, we could talk about all the revivals that have reshaped our country and reshaped the world. But I believe every revival starts with a heart, one heart that turns fully to God. Um, and then that family, that couple, or a group of folks in the church. And God can spark that any Sunday. God can spark that any morning when you get up and open your Bible. But let's ask God, even tonight, to spark a revival in our hearts through his word. Um, we've enjoyed the, the good food, the good fellowships, the, the wonderful hotel, and all of that. Uh, thank you for making us feel right at home. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to uh, 1 John chapter 3. Uh, sorry, chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I want to preach a message entitled, True Love. True Love. I know, it's Valentine's week. Fellas, you know which day that falls on, right? Wednesday, church night, amen. All right, everybody back in church. Uh, but it's always important to remember what day that is, right, fellas? Uh, Valentine's Day is coming. And uh, I remember early on in our marriage, it might have been the first or second year we were married, uh, Valentine's Day, I forget which day it fell on, let's just say it fell on a Friday or something, and I uh, thought to myself, well, well, we'll be really smart, and we'll just have our Valentine's dinner on Thursday night, and I had a special, hot, uh, special um, restaurant in mind, uh, and so I didn't think to make the reservation, because, you know, we were, we were being smart, we were going a day early, 
Of course, I got there, and everybody else had the exact same idea. That's another story, another message, and we, stood, we sat there waiting forever to finally get a seat. But, you know, that's a rookie mistake. But uh, these days are important, important for husbands and wives to uh, just have special times together, celebrating and investing in what God has built. And I'll tell you what, husbands and wives, uh, what you do for your own couple's health is a blessing to your children as well. It's a blessing to your whole household. And the problem is, in this culture, a lot is said about love, but very few people have actually experienced it. Love, according to the Bible, is something very exclusive. Something that only can really be understood if you're connected to God. This whole world is craving love. They sing about it, don't they? They talk about it. Uh, we just got through the Christmas season, and I don't know if you ever uh, hear the old Bing Crosby tunes, those kinds of things, like White Christmas and, and uh, all that stuff. Uh, one of those fellas, I, I kind of like the sound of his voice. His name is uh, uh, Nat King Cole. He's got a unique sounding voice, doesn't he? Just that velvety, pure sound. And of course, what he sings, old Tannenbaum and all that. But I came across a song. I don't know how I ever came across it, but I, I listened to the words. It wasn't a Christmas song. It was a song that I, I did a little research and found out he was, it was a big hit for him back in the, whatever, the 30s. <laughs> but it was a song called Nature Boy. Don't Google it now. Don't, don't, don't Google it now. But it was a song called Nature Boy. It was a strange sort of, it had a sort of mysterious, almost like a fable sound to it. It's, and it's about, the, the singer is, is recounting meeting this, this ageless child, like a cherub or something. This sort of ageless child who has lived and seen the rise and fall of kings and, and kingdoms and, and empires. And, and he's chatting with this, this, this nature boy and asking about the, the wisdom he's collected over the centuries And at the end of the song, it finishes with this phrase, and he says, The greatest thing you will ever learn is just to love and to be loved in return. That little phrase just kind of stuck in my mind. Now, it's not a Bible phrase at all, and yet there's some truth in it from the world's perspective. The greatest thing they'll ever find is love. But that little key there to love and to be loved in return. It's possible to love someone dearly and yet not receive that love in return. Unrequited love is one of the most painful experiences and that might be what you might think of as a breakup and yet those breakups are incredibly difficult. Whether it's just a boy meets girl breakup but God forbid a marriage that breaks up It's devastating, isn't it? It's devastating for every party involved because the one they have set their love on, the one that they wish they could enjoy a a, a wonderful relationship with, does not return that love. And uh, songs are sung about it. Uh, Poems are written about it. The whole world, every language is longing for it. But let me tell you, if you want to love and be loved, you've got to know Jesus. That's it. You've got to know the one who is love. Because everything else they're searching for, when they find it, sadly, they're finding a tainted, fallen, corrupt form of love that this world knows a little bit about, but they don't know the real thing. They don't know true love. And so you have heartache 
This morning we talked about bitterness and anger and angry words. All of those negative things do not flow from love. They flow from selfishness. They kill. They ruin love. They, they destroy what God designed. And yet, ironically, as I kind of mentioned this morning, oftentimes it's the ones we say we love that we hurt the most. We want them to give us some attention, and we're mad that they don't, so we blast them with words. It doesn't exactly work, does it? It chases them away. This longing for love, this longing for reciprocal love is a powerful thing. Uh, when I pastored years ago, I remember talking to a couple and, and there was this, this um, interchange I had in the counseling room with, one of, with, the, with the gentleman and uh, it, got, it got me thinking because his plight was, you know, I love my wife, but she says I don't love her. I love her with all my heart, but she's convinced that I don't. So then eventually I have a chance to talk to her, and sure enough, he doesn't love me. Oh yeah, he does this. He'll, he'll tell you all the stuff he does, but he doesn't love me. Wow, what a disconnect. Husband says, I love my wife. Wife feels like she's on an island where nobody cares, and yet they live in the same house. That desire to love and be loved, when it's not met, produces great harm and tragedy in the heart, in the life, in the home, and it goes on for generations. What does love actually look like? 1 John chapter 4 starts at the root of it in verse 7. The Bible says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, Say it now, for God is love. First of all, if we're going to have true love and learn what it means to love and be loved in return, if we're going to enjoy this relationship of love and share it with those that we say we love, we've got to get to the source. And who is the source? God is love. Now, did you notice the wording in verse 7? It's very, very exclusive. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of who? Are there multiple sources of love? No. There is an exclusive source of love, and that is God Almighty. So just pause for a moment. How many billions of people are there on the planet now? I don't, I've lost track. Is it eight now? Eight or nine billion people on the planet? Sadly, I would assume a pretty small fraction of those have been born again the Bible way, most of the planet can't even start to know love because they don't know God. Think about that. And yet they have a craving to love, to love one another, to have loving relationships. And yes, down deep, there's a craving to be in a loving relationship with their creator. Even if they don't know who he is, God put that in them. And that empty, gnawing desire for love cannot be satisfied in this life. You might say, well, that's a little bit harsh. I'm, I'm sure there's some lost folks who have sweet, loving relationships with their wife. Or, well, look, do you believe the Bible? Anybody all in favor? Do you believe the Bible? Okay. Whatever they're enjoying, I'm glad they got some enjoyment from it, but whatever it is, it's not the true God-sent love. 
See, we ruin everything. Didn't take long for Adam and Eve to ruin the Garden of Eden, right? <laughs> we ruin everything. Sin ruins everything. And even the noblest of love on a human level has a fatal flaw, and that is self-orientation. We want to be pleased. We love them because, in some way, they are feeding a need that we have. And you might say, well, that's normal. Yes, it's normal. It's also a fatal flaw of human love because the love that God gives is completely opposite of that. So this is a very exclusive love. It, it gets even more specific. Notice, verse 7, love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Wow. He's literally saying, if you come across someone with this kind of love, you met someone who's born again. That's what he's saying. Everyone that loveth is born of God. Why? Because it only comes from God. You meet someone with this kind of love, you met a Christian. Wow, that's exclusive. Now, I'm not trying to be mean. God loves the world. We, we know that he died for the whole world. And yet, unless they come to him, they cannot enter into that relationship. If you're saved here today, be encouraged. God has welcomed you into a family, into a relationship where you can know this exclusive and powerful thing called love. You can know it. But here's the tragedy. Many Christians don't know this love. They've been brought into the family, and to a degree they've tasted of it because they've, they've received his gift of salvation. When they think about heaven, they're glad they're going there. Amen? And, and when they think about the cross, it, it, brings a, 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 it brings love into their heart. And yet, in daily practical living, many Christians know very little about this godly love. We quickly slip right back into the default worldly love that we were born with, that we were surrounded by. The kind of love that's in the airwaves everywhere, we slip back to that. And yet we can know the real thing because we know the source of love. Look at verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now the word know in that word is a, is a relationship word, to know by personal experience. So you could just be very honest, I think most of us would agree, if someone is not loving does not show the love of God in their life, there's really only two questions. A, are they saved? Because if you don't know God at all, if you're not born again, you don't know him at all. So either they're lost or they just don't know him. And I'll be, I'll be honest with you. When I'm not in my Bible, when I'm not close to the Lord, when I'm not walking with Jesus, when I don't have his love in my heart, I'm not a loving person and neither are you. If you're not loving, it shows you don't know him very well. All right? So the source of love is God, and that means this is an exclusive but special thing. Honestly, isn't love supposed to be sort of exclusive? Husband and wife, on their wedding day, if they still say their vows. <laughs> it used to be there was a portion of the vows that said this, forsaking all others, forsaking all others, is that a good phrase? Absolutely it's a good phrase. What makes that relationship special is its exclusivity. And so there's something exclusive that we enjoy with God, but we have to, first of all, come into that relationship through salvation, and then we have to nurture it through fellowship. 
If you know God, you should be becoming more loving, not less. All right, so the source of love is God. Let me ask you, are you in that relationship? Can you look back to the day when you know that's the day when I knew I was lost and by God's grace I was found? That's the day that I was born again. I hope so, because that means the rest of this message is for you. If not, tonight is the night that you need to make sure that you've received Jesus so that you can know God and know what love is all about. So the source of love is God, but what's the essence of love? How, what's the root of it? Because there are certain aspects of love that we will see in this world, and we would say, yes, that's a loving act. That's a kind, loving thing to do, and, and lost people can do those things. But there's something at the root of godly love that's uniquely divine. Well, the essence of love starts in verse 9. Look what it says. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Here's what love is. It's that God loved the unlovely. Hear that word sin? Us. Here in his love that God would love sinners. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. This is the essence of God's love, is that he chooses to set his love on those who are unworthy. And not just in a, in a token way, but he followed that choice of love all the way to the old rugged cross where the love of God was truly poured out. That's the essence of love. It's unmerited. It's self-sacrificial. It's generous. It's unceasing. We'll never be worthy of it. We'll spend all of eternity trying to figure out how we got there. The Lord, I can't believe I'm here. I'm, I'm a sinner. We're going to be worshiping him in wonder for eternity, thinking, wow, why did God love me? I don't deserve to be here. And one of the things that makes me tremble is the great white throne of judgment. Now, I don't tremble because I'm worried about being on the wrong side of that. By, by, by God's grace, I won't be on trial at the great white throne. But I will be there. I tremble at that. Because by the grace of God, by the blood of Jesus alone, I'm going to be among the saints uh, as, as David said in Psalm 1, I will stand with the righteous. Sinners will not stand with the righteous that day. But I'll be standing among the righteous when the angels will be taking those who have been condemned one by one before the throne of God and the books will be opened and you know what's going to happen. Name is not written in the book of life. We're going to stand there and I'm going to see sinners just like me. I'm going to see nice people, but sinners. And I'm going to see them cast in the lake of fire. And I'm going to say, oh, Lord, thank you for the blood of Christ. I'm on this side, not on that side. And the only reason is Jesus went to the cross for me. Folks, that's the essence of love. That God was willing to go all the way to the depths of pain and suffering and shame to buy back my soul to redeem my soul. 
That's love. Sum it up, sum it up this way. The essence of love is the cross. All that the cross symbolizes. That's what love is. Say, so, okay, how would you market that? <laughs> is that very appealing to the world? To love someone who doesn't love you back? Remember that thing I told you? To love and be loved in return? Know what this world says? Well, we don't have time for those kinds of people. If someone hurts you, lose that person. Just dump them and move on. Life's too short to put up with hurtful people. That's why we have so many broken homes. Because nobody knows what it means to pursue someone through Christ-like, patient love till death do us part and all the way to the grave. And look, there's something called Christ-like love that you won't know unless you know Christ. You say, oh, I, I know this dear old couple, dear old um, Mr. and Mrs. Farmer on some farm, and they lived till they were 80 or 90, and they were lost, and they, they stayed together to the end. Wonderful, I'm glad. It's good for their kids, good for their grandkids, good for their great-grandkids. And I, I don't, I'm not minimizing that, but a lost couple who stays married till they're 90 and then dies, that doesn't mean they enjoyed biblical love. They might have just learned to put up with each other. <laughs> okay. there's all, look, there's all kinds of things that we don't know about in a marriage and don't need to know. The point is, my Bible says, this kind of love comes from God. Some folks stay in a marriage the same way other people stay in solitary confinement. They just stay. For whatever reason, they don't, want to, they don't, they don't have the desire to do a jailbreak, and they stay till the end. Look, I'm not trying to minimize their faithfulness. I'm just saying, just because someone goes, goes the full length doesn't mean they enjoyed this kind of love. God does not want your marriage to be a prison. God wants your marriage to be a wonderful thing where you are sharing God's love with each other. Enjoying a relationship with him and then sharing that relationship between each other. But you have to know the source. God is the source. Self-sacrificing is the mode. That's the essence of this kind of love. The word propitiation is a big word in verse 10, but it means a sacrifice which fully absorbs all the wrath and satisfies on, on behalf of another. Jesus was on that cross, and he fully absorbed God's wrath. He fully satisfied the payment for you and for me. All right, so we've seen the source. We've seen the essence of love. The essence of love is the cross. Let me ask you, does that describe your mode with the people that you love? Are you willing to turn the other cheek? Are you willing to go the extra mile? Are you willing to love the unlovable? Are you willing to patiently show favor on the one who presently is hurting you, offending you? Are you willing to extend forgiveness? You know, forgiveness is a portion, forgiveness is, is an aspect of God's love. We talked about forgiveness this morning. How many of you would be okay with a salvation that goes like this? All right, you're saved. You're not going to hell. Thank you, Lord. But you can't come into heaven. Because after all, I still remember the stuff you did. So we have a place out, it's kind of like a back porch, you know, we have this little holding corral outside of heaven. You can stay there, but you can't come in the pearly gates. 
Now, look, that's not the way it is. But if that's the way it is, I guess I'd take it. I mean, that would be better than eternity in the flames of fire. But aren't you glad that God's love is not merely sparing you from the worst, but it's, it's far more than that. He's sparing you from eternal suffering, but bringing you all the way into the family of God. He's brought you right in. He calls you his beloved. You're going to rule and reign with him eternally. And now, in this little portion on the timeline that we occupy, we get to know him and walk with him and grow with him and, better yet, show that very love to others. All right, so we have the source of love. We have the essence of love. But then it leads us to something that I'm going to call the outflow, or rather the overflow of love. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. I, I really don't believe this is a guilt trip. I don't, I don't hear any tone in this. Now, you can't, see, you can't hear tone of voice in the scripture, but I, sometimes we can put a tone there that's not there. All right, if God loved you that way, then you better love others that way. This is not a guilt trip. This is a statement of fact. Look, if you really understand that God loves you that way, then logically, we ought to love one another. This is a statement of logic. It's saying, if the love is flowing in, then just naturally, that kind of love should be flowing out. That would be natural. And we see a similar idea at the, a, couple a couple verses later. Look over to, to verse 19. We love him. Say it out, out loud with me. Ready? We love him because he first loved us. It's just a reflex, right? Because God loves me, it should be just a natural outflow that I would spend my life loving him. It's, a, it's an in and it's an out kind of thing. See, God never meant his love for you to just fill you up and then stagnate. No. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a river. Remember Jesus talking to the woman at the well in John chapter 4? And here's a woman who's tried every kind of relationship, and she's, she's broken, and she's hurting. She's alone. She's at the well in the middle of the day all by herself, and you can make some conclusions about that. Um, she's a scarred woman. She's been searching for love in all the wrong places, hasn't she? Well, the Lord shows her where the real water is, and what does he promise? He says, I'm going to put a river on the inside. I'm going to put a fountain on the inside. There's going to be a flow of life and God's love and God's spirit. I'm going to put a fountain of living waters on the inside. See, that's what God wants. God wants there to be an inflow of his love so that your heart can bubble over as a fountain of love to others. Now, way back in my college years, I had a chance in the summers to travel with our, uh, some of my college buddies. We'd sing at different churches and, uh, around the country. And so we got to see some beautiful country. Went out, we went out west twice. And one particular summer, we were in Colorado, and there were, we got to go on some hikes way up in, in, the, in the mountain range. Well, one particular church had a youth pastor. That was all he was about. He was about hiking. He loved to hike. And he said, you guys want to do some real hiking? Of course, we're like, yeah, we can do that. We can handle anything. And so here's what they did. They drove us up pretty high, dropped us off on one side of the mountain, 
uh, somebody drove the van to the other side of the mountain, and we, 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 we hiked over the crest of a very high mountain. I wish I knew the, the particular mountain range, but it was so high that when we got to the top, we were beyond the tree, the tree line. Trees were gone. All that existed up there was this really fine moss covering everything. It was incredible. Middle of July, we're hiking up, and all of a sudden the trees are gone. It's just bare, mossy rock. And we looked up, and in the middle of July, snowflakes are coming down. We were way up high. But I remember on the way down, our legs were just about jelly, because all that climbing, your legs just start to wear out. And you've got to be careful on the way down, because your legs will just give out. Um, but we were coming on down this very rugged trail. And as it twisted and turned, I remember hearing the most beautiful sound. I'd never heard it before. It was the crystal sound of a mountain stream. And on that side of the mountain, you could hear water just trickling down. And I couldn't even see it because we were back into the thick forest and we were coming back down. But every once in a while, there'd be a gap in the forest and I could see through and I could see a crest with water just kind of coming down and spilling down over the side. It was beautiful. And the sun was shining off of it. It sounded beautiful. And you can all picture this. You can picture a, a waterfall, okay? Maybe you didn't see that one. But picture with me a multi-tiered waterfall. Water's coming down from above, falls off this little cliff, falls a little ways, hits a, hits a flat place, wells up, bubbles over, goes back down, hits another spot, wells up, goes back over. It just keeps on going. Now look, what if it could be as simple as this? God loves me. He's never going to stop. Hallelujah. What if I could just stand in that waterfall? What if I could just let the reality of his love touch my heart and fill it up? I'm not talking about some sort of experience. I'm just talking about by faith to stand in that waterfall and say, Lord, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for forgiving me. And we allow that love to fill our hearts once again. You know what can happen? Now that love that has satisfied my soul and refreshed my heart, that love has an opportunity now to just spill right over to my wife, to my kids, to the folks I meet. See, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. It's supposed to be easy. It's not because we're sinners, all right? We're, because selfish love is so natural. The only way you can have divine love is to be choosing to stand in that relationship, enjoy that relationship, and allow the reality of that love to fill your heart again. I'm not saying get saved again. You can't get saved again, but you need to stand in that reality again by faith. And you'll see this as a few verses down. Just look down a couple verses uh, to verse 16. This is a fascinating verse, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Look at that phrase. We have known and believed the love that God hath to us. If I had a show of hands, if I, if I could say, how many of you know that God loves the world? I think all of us would raise our hand. If I said, how many of you know that God loves you? Intellectually, we would raise our hand. And yet, if you were really honest, 
How many of us believe the love that God has to us? And here's where it all breaks down. We start to feel as though God doesn't love us. We start to feel that, well, with my background, with my failings, I I know God loves me. I, I know he died on the cross for me. I'm glad for that. But honestly, I don't think he really loves me right now. I'm sure he loves me, but I don't think he likes me very much. What I'm getting to is a religious view of God. You know what religion says about heaven, right? Work hard, cross your fingers, and hope you don't die. <laughs> Works salvation is religious, is a religious idea, right? So do good, try hard, go to church, pray, and hope for the best. And the idea of religion is that I'm trying to continuously appease the wrath of God, and I'm trying to earn his favor. Does that work for salvation? Yes or no? No, because it's the wrong understanding of God. Love is not sold. God's love is not earned. God's love is freely given to those who simply trust in his son by faith. But see, a religious mindset says, well, I don't think God's too happy with me. I I haven't measured up lately. You know, I've got some problems in my life. I'm sure if I were God, I wouldn't be happy with me. I'm sure he's not. And people have this idea. I'm really, I think a lot of Christians have this idea that God's up in heaven just smoldering with anger, shaking his head. Like, oh, ooh, they did it again. Oh, next time, next time, ooh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to squash him like a bug. Now, look, is that God? Is God up in heaven just ready to blow? No, he has the right to, but he loves you. Hebrews chapter 12 says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Even the the chastening he brings in your life is done with a loving hand. No, it doesn't feel good, but he loves you. He never stops. But we can have a human view of God that somehow, you know, I've got to have to keep up my act or God's not going to give me the love that I wish he would give me. Now, sometimes we can fall into that without even realizing it because it comes so natural. The whole world is filled with religions that are works-based religions. Now, here's how that messes up your, your relationship. If you're standing in the fountain, if you will, of a false view of God's love, a meritorious love, guess what kind of love you're going to give to your wife and your husband? If you feel like God loves you conditionally, then you're going to love them conditionally. That false idea that's flooding your heart is going to mess up their lives. Say, oh, I love my wife. Oh, don't get me wrong. I love my wife. But until she fixes this and this and this, things are not going to be right. And so I'm going to stand here and wait. And I'm going to prod and I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm tweak. And you know, I'm going to work hard to, to get her where she needs to be. And, and once she fixes a few things, then we can have a good relationship. Is that love? No. The wife says, well, you know, you don't understand my husband. First Peter chapter 3, talking about the disobedient husband. Well, that's my husband, all right. He's a jerk. You know, he's, he, he's got a lot to learn. And, and until he changes some things, we're just not going to have a good relationship. Oh, I love him, they tell themselves. Oh, I love him. 
but he's going to have to change this and this and this and this, or we're just not going to get anywhere. Hear the conditions? See, that's not love. Doesn't even feel romantic, does it? <laughs> Doesn't even sound romantic. That wouldn't be nice at a nice candlelight dinner, would it? It wouldn't fit. It's not love. See, we naturally have a, a works mentality towards God that somehow God's love towards us depends on whether I keep my act together. So therefore, my love towards the people in my life depends on what they do. And we can even back it up with Scripture. The devil can quote Scripture too. <laughs> well, the Bible says that she's supposed to do this and this and this. So, I'll wait. Uh, that, that's an abuse of Scripture. Yes, she needs to do or he needs to do that. Yes, but what about love? God's love towards you doesn't flicker or change based on what you have or haven't done. God's love is steady, unmerited, generous, and it's not based on me, it's based on Christ. This morning we talked about that, Ephesians chapter 4. Why do we forgive? Even as God, for what? For Christ's sake hath forgiven you. God doesn't forgive you because you've earned it. He forgives you because of the cross. He forgives you on the merits of the blood that was shed. And yet we can do that with our kids. Oh, I love my kids. Oh, yeah, I do. I love them. But you know, until they do this or do that, shape up, they're going to have to change some things or they're just not going to enjoy my favor, except for little Johnny, of course. You know, little Johnny, whatever his name is, he just so happens to do all the things that mommy and daddy like. So guess what he gets? Lots of favor. But guess what he, does? guess what he doesn't get? He doesn't get love. Did you catch that? If you give good things to little Johnny because Johnny, in your mind, earned it, then what he got was earned. You follow me? That's not love. And here's the sad reality. In one home, one child is frustrated because he can never be good enough. And hey, we're all sinners and he might have some major adjustments to make, right? But he's frustrated and he hurts in his heart. His heart aches to be loved unconditionally. All of us do. But he's over here, he's the, the wayward one, and he's the stubborn one, or, or she's the tough, the tough character, and yet she feels hurt because she can never experience the warmth of unconditional love from mom and dad. You would assume that the good kid is doing better, but no. He is filled with insecurity. Oh, he enjoys the favor. Oh, absolutely. But he also knows that it's completely dependent on keeping them happy which breeds deep insecurity. It can breed, he can cause him to be a pathological liar. <laughs> he likes the favor he gets, so he'll make sure they're always happy, even if what he did wasn't right. He's get, he gets good at covering his tracks and keeping up appearances. Oh, he might even enjoy all the laughter and all the warmth that the other child wishes he had, but at the root of his character is a fatal flaw, and that is he's never been touched by unconditional love. Guess what he's going to do to his kids if he gets married? Same thing. 
Over here, this fellow or this girl, they feel frustrated because they can never get, get, get up to that level. They'll never be approved like, like their sister or brother is. And so what do they do? They want love. They're not getting it from mom and dad. So as soon as they're old enough, they're going to find someone that seems to fill that need. And out they go. Sadly, they won't find it out there either. And you see how this search for love becomes generational? And all of us have been scarred by it. All of us have been touched by those who said they loved us, but they didn't know how to do it. Folks, we have the opportunity to break that. We have the opportunity. If you're saved, you're already in the club, all right? You're already in the family. You have the opportunity to have and enjoy that sweet, exclusive relationship with God. A relationship where God says, I love you, period. No, he doesn't like our sin, but he never once turns his back on us. Not one moment. Amen. We turn our back on him. And he, he kind of follows us around. <laughs> Isn't it great? Can you really run from God as a Christian? Can you? No, he's right there with you. His love is ceaseless. And folks, if we would learn to step into that kind of love and allow that to touch our hearts, then for the first time, perhaps, you can start to share unconditional love with your wife, with your kids, with your neighbor, with your church friends because what comes in is real and what goes out is real I want to finish with a prayer from the Apostle Paul we were looking at the words of John but go back to Ephesians chapter 3 Paul recognized how difficult it is for us to accept the fact that we are loved by God see standing in the waterfall takes faith Standing in the waterfall of the reality of God's unconditional love goes against our training. It goes against the words and the, the culture of a wicked world. Accepting and stepping into this divine love takes a miracle. We need God's help to even do it. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul prays for the Ephesians. I want you to see what his prayer is. Verse 14, for this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. Now notice this, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, not by works, folks, by faith. That ye... Say the next phrase with me. That ye being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so we get saved by faith, but we continue to rest in him by faith. Not to maintain our salvation, no, but to enjoy our salvation. And as doing so, we, we, we don't go forward by works. We go forward by faith. And that allows us to be rooted and grounded in his love. Rooted and grounded in the reality that God loves me unconditionally. Wow. Verse 18, that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know what? The love of Christ, which passeth knowledge 
that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And then he, he continues his prayer. But let me just focus, folks, as we wrap this up. What we need, if I'm going to love my wife right, I need to know his love right. I've prayed this for myself. Lord, help me to know and believe the love that you have to me. Lord, would you open my eyes? Lord, would you show me the cross again? Lord, would you teach me what it means so I can share it with my wife and my kids? I've prayed this prayer for my family. I've prayed this prayer for my children. You should too. Oh, Lord, I pray that I name them by name. Lord, I pray that they would start to understand and appreciate the love that you have for them. Your kids need to have a personal knowledge of the love of God. Why are they mean to their brother and sister? Well, a lot of reasons. But I'll tell you this. If they'll learn to be satisfied by a relationship with God Almighty, his love will flow in. And guess what's going to flow out? Love. Folks, the reason why we're unloving is because we have a rotten, worldly, selfish view of God's love. You know, we, at our house, we like birthday cakes. We like birthdays. Uh, it's a big deal. My wife makes the best chocolate cake you've ever had. I'm telling you, it is amazing. And she goes the whole way out and decorates everything and makes it look great. And, and just imagine, imagine a birthday and... Um, Let's say all of you are invited, and, and so we, 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 we borrowed the Fellowship Hall, okay? We have a big old birthday. Everyone comes. My wife makes this big old cake. Let's say it's my cake, all right? So it's my cake, and I blow out all the candles, and then I say, okay, well, y'all go on home now. I mean, it's my cake. It says my name on it. I mean, after it's my cake. That's ridiculous. The whole point is it's big enough to share. It was designed to share. Closing thought is this. Does God love you? Yes, he does. His love for you is big enough to share. Here's how it works. Here's how I do it. I would encourage you to try this. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Now, Lord, help me to share that forgiveness with the person who's wronged me. Just give them a, give them a piece. Lord, Thank you for being merciful to me. See, when I say thank you, I'm standing in the waterfall. See? Lord, thank you for being merciful to me. Now, Lord, help me to be merciful to the one who really I could come down hard on. Lord, thank you for your patience with me. Lord, help me to show patience with the one who's still learning and still failing. Lord, you see how this works? I take it by faith and I give it freely. Just share what God has already given you. That's true love. And if we'll start to do it and experience it, we could change everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us this way. This world is aching, searching for true love. I pray, Lord, that we would help them find it by introducing them to Jesus. But Lord, in this room full of believers, there are some who are desperate to know this kind of love and they haven't known it. They haven't shared it either. Lord, we know that you love us, but we don't often believe the love that you have to us. We're not, we're not standing in that waterfall. We're not receiving your unconditional love for us. And therefore, we're not able to share it with those in our lives.
Please help us to break this cycle. Even tonight, even tonight, Lord, may we begin to show your love and share it with those in our family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor.